Thank you for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. Are you looking for a view of the world that's a bit different? Hi, I'm Jason Palmer, a host of The Weekend Intelligence, a podcast from The Economist. Join us to hear the stories that matter most to our correspondents and editors. Every Saturday, we introduce you to people and ideas that take you outside the ordinary and expand your horizons one episode at a time. Join us and see the world from a new perspective. To listen free until May 31st, search Spotify for The Weekend Intelligence. Hello and welcome to The Rest is History. We always start these podcasts exactly the same way. I say that we're in the middle of the World Cup marathon <laughs> because we are and there's no other but way Dominic, to... <laughs> but Dominic, the thing is, we don't actually know if we get in the middle, do we? Because we haven't yet worked out the schedule. What we do know, Tom, is that this is a podcast about Ecuador. Now, Ecuador's participation in the World Cup um, has, it has been hanging by a thread uh, for quite a while, hasn't it? Because um, there was some talk of them being kicked out. Which you were gutted by because you really wanted to do this podcast well, about you're you're an absolute you have a passion <laughs> and you've talked to me about this from the beginning of the rest is history you have a passion for Ecuadorian history and you said you, <laughs> well, you would you, Dominic Dominic I, I've been up front throughout this that Latin American history is not my strength not oh, my strength Tom, don't say that so Ecuador basically I know two things about Ecuador yeah. the first is it was the name of the 1990s club classic by Sash you familiar with that. <laughs> No, I'm not. You weren't strutting your stuff to it? I've learned something, Tom. I've learned something on this podcast. I've educated I myself, it. which is lovely. Down at Love Muscle every Saturday night, dancing to this. Right. Ecuador! You, you, no? You don't remember that at all? I hope they cut this, Tom. I really do. <laughs> Maybe you'd remember it if you, if you heard it. I don't know. But the other thing I know about Ecuador, and this is a bit of a cheat, Ooh. is that uh, a chunk of it was visited by Charles Darwin, namely the Galapagos Islands. Okay. And I know that... <laughs> Doing an, an episode on Ecuador and focusing on Charles Darwin is a bit of a cheat, but that's what I'm doing. So all that talk about you doing the foundation of Quito. <laughs> no. I don't, the, and the, I don't and know anything about... In no. the voice royalty of Nueva Granada. <laughs> no. Real Audencia de Quito, all that stuff. That was a lie. You're not going to do that at all. <laughs> I'm not going to do that at all, no. So, But actually, and this is a sequel to... Um, we. After Christmas last time, we did the 12 days of Christmas, didn't we? Um, we did kind of series of episodes focused on anniversaries. And one of the episodes um, was the day that uh, Darwin left Plymouth on the Beagle, yeah. 27th of December, 1831. And we talked about um, the, the backdrop to this famous voyage that he did, which Darwin described as by far the most important event in my life. The Beagle was a survey ship. It was being sent out to um, basically map the, the geography of South America. Uh, it was planned to be a, a two-year voyage. It ended up being a five-year voyage, complete circumnavigation. Um, and Darwin went on it as um, he was, he went as a naturalist and geologist. He was preeminently a geologist at this point. Right. That was his main interest. He was, he was less interested in, in, um, in natural history. Although, I mean, he loved it too. He was very keen on beetles. He loved a beetle. Okay. Um, he was very interested in marine life uh, and he was very good at shooting. <laughs> so, right. so you remember in the Loch Ness episode, we talked about Peter Scott, who became a kind of leading conservationist founder of the World Wildlife Fund, but he'd begun as a, his great pursuit was, um, was shooting duck. 
And he then became a leading ornithologist. And slightly the same thing with Darwin. Poacher turned gamekeeper, Tom. That he was very good at shooting stuff, yeah. at uh, skinning it, at stuffing it, all that kind of stuff. And so basically he gets signed up. He's 22 years old. He's a gentleman. He's very much an amateur. And he's going on board the survey ship. The plan is that he will be looking at the various, you know, the wildlife, uh, all that kind of stuff. But he's also going as a, a kind of gentleman companion for the captain of the ship. Um, who's a man named J- James Fitzroy, who is also a young man. He's about 26, I think, when they when they leave. And one of the reasons why that is important is that um, Fitzroy is quite depressive. So he's actually the nephew of Lord Castlereagh, the foreign secretary who kills himself. Oh, yeah. Yes. And a, a former captain of the Beagle had also killed himself, because I think it's quite isolating, quite lonely being captain of a ship. So mm. essentially, their relationship is like Aubrey... A maturin. And maturin um, in Master and Commander. So Darwin is basically Paul Bettany in the film. That's right. that's his role. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in fact, I, I guess that that is why in the film they end up going to the Galapagos Islands, which is where we will be going with Fitzroy and Darwin. Okay. Darwin is a Whig. He's very progressive. Uh, he's not in favor of slavery. Uh, he's a supporter of the Reform Act, which is uh, bubbling away in the background as the, the Beagle sets off. Fitzroy is an absolute diehard Tory. He um, He's all in favour of slavery. Um, so there's a huge scope for political arguments, but actually they get on pretty well. They know that they've got to get on well. Yeah. Uh, and so they set off. Um, they uh, they head to, to South America. And Darwin, basically, he he is in clover because there is just so much wildlife for him to, to to get into. Right from the beginning, he invents this kind of net that he he trawls and he just picks up all this kind of amazing uh, sea animals that he can inspect. He gets to Brazil, there's the rainforest. He describes going into the rainforest and seeing the kind of incredible luxuriance of life, and it leaves him in a, an excess of delight, he says. Patagonia, yep. um, he, he comes across kind of incredible fossils. Uh, fossils of, of ancient mammals, packs them all up. But he also, he, he gets involved in kind of political things. So again, we talked about, or maybe we haven't yet talked about Uruguay, is it? and um, he gets involved in a, a brief kind of war there. There's an attempt to, to retake a fort on the River Plate. He visits the Falkland Islands. They go th- round the Magellan Straits. And he's led quite a sheltered life as a gentleman. He's a man, of, man from Shrewsbury. He's a Shropshire lad like me. Yeah, gone to Cambridge, uh, hasn't seen much of the world, but he he's kind of brought up short against the way that humans are naturally predacious on each other. So he, yeah. in Patagonia, he talks to gauchos who, 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 who boast about basically exterminating the Indians of the Pampas. Mm. And also he, that they, they've brought some, uh, three people from, um, Tierra del Fuego at the very bottom of Latin America, and they've taken them back to England and kind of, educated them according to English lights. And now they're taking them back to Tierra del Fuego and they run off and they, they don't want to live as English people. Yeah. They want to go back and live among their people. And Darwin again is kind of, this provokes him to all kinds of thoughts about the different orders of mankind as he sees it. So all kinds of things are ticking away in his mind. And among the things that he is aware of is that when he's away from the land and he's still using his kind of plankton net, to draw up all this marine life. What intrigues him is the fact that it is, it's so rich. It's so beautiful. 
he wonders well, what what's it there for? Because most people, most humans can't see it. So if life has been created to be admired by humans, hmm. what are all these creatures doing out in the in the sea? So he says many of these creatures, so low in the scale of nature, are most exquisite in their forms and rich colours. It creates a feeling of wonder that so much beauty should be apparently created for such little purpose. So again, he's he's starting to wonder why. Why do different organisms exist? How have they come into existence? That's a very anthropocentric view of the world, isn't it? That uh, nature only exists to amuse mankind. I think it's slightly more theologically nuanced than that. I think it's... Okay. Uh, yeah, what, what is life for? Uh, what, what's the purpose of it? What, do, what does it exist for? Why has God created it? All that kind of thing. Yeah. And as he's going around Latin America, uh, he's at sea, he's on land, he's looking at the way that mountains rise up, he goes to the Andes, he visits flat plains and he sees the fossils of fish high on the mountain peaks and he sees the fossils of mountain creatures in lowlands and he's thinking about how the face of the earth seems to constantly be molded and how creatures have come into existence and then they seem to have vanished from the place where they were. So all this kind of stuff is ticking along and he's keeping um, a daily log about it, he's writing notebooks, he's building it up into a diary. This becomes a journal. And he's thinking about the relationship of, of geology to natural history and how the two might be interlinked. The particular question that is starting to, to kind of nudge him a, a bit like, I guess, a kind of, you know, the first onset of a cold at the back of your throat, the kind of tickling. Yeah. This question of our species constant, which is the absolute religious orthodoxy that God has created species at the beginning of time. And the assumption is, is that they have remained constant throughout the whole process of time ever since. Yeah. Darwin is just kind of start. It's starting to niggle at him. Is that actually the case? And it's as he's getting niggled by this question that the Beagle sails from mainland Latin America out to sea uh, and they arrive at the Galapagos Islands. So did, they already knew the Galapagos were there, obviously. They um, absolutely do. Yeah. Uh, so the Galapagos Islands, um, well, shall I read you Darwin's description of them? Do. Yeah, I will. That'd be lovely. Uh, so it, this archipelago consists of 10 principal islands, Darwin wrote, uh, of which five exceed the others in size. They're situated under the equator and between five and 600 miles westward off the coast of America. They are all formed of volcanic rocks. A few fragments of granite, curiously glazed and altered by the heat, can hardly be considered as an exception. So they are a long way off, and um, they seem to have first been discovered by the Spanish, um, and then they uh, they become a very popular haunt of English pirates, right. and and then of whalers. Yeah. So if you remember in uh, Master and Commander, the film, yeah. the French are preying on English whalers. Yeah. It's actually an American whaler who discovered it in 1818. So that portrait in Master and Commander is anachronistic, as actually is the portrait of them playing cricket, because uh, in that film, they're shown bowling overarm, oh. and they would have been bowling underarm. So that's another mistake. Oh, dear. So in 1818, an American whaler had, had arrived off there, and he discovered um, this huge number of sperm whales, and all the whalers come piling in. So yeah. that's basically what it's for. But then in 1832, so um, we're now in 1835, uh, so Darwin's been at sea for what? That's uh, four years. So he's been at sea a long time. Ecuador had annexed them in 1832. Um, and they've on one of the islands, an island that the, um, the Ecuadorians call Floriana, they set up a prison colony. But the guy in charge of this prison colony is an Englishman called Nicholas Lawson. 
And obviously they're perfect as a prison colony because they're completely barren. They're completely isolated. There is no prospect of any, any convict escaping. So the Beagle arrives um, on 15th of September, 1835. And should we take a break at this point? And then sure. when we come back, I'll describe what Darwin saw. What a cliffhanger. What's he going to see, Tom? And in the long run, the impact that this has on him. Excellent. Well, come back after the break and you'll find out what Darwin saw. Welcome back to The Rest is History. As is his want, Tom Holland has ended the first part of his story on a cliffhanger. We don't know what Charles Darwin is going to see on the Galapagos Islands. Tom, what does he see? Well, uh, first up, of course, we, I talked about how Darwin is preeminently at this point a geologist. That's what interests him. Yeah. He loves a bit of rock, Dominic. <laughs> right. He loves a bit of rock. I, I'm not. I mean, I can, I, I can take, <laughs> take or leave a rock, if I'm completely honest. So the appearance of the Galapagos is rather grim. So Fitzroy, in his diary, says a black, dismal-looking heaps of broken lava forming a shore fit for pandemonium. And Darwin himself brilliantly says that nothing could be less inviting than the first appearance. And uh, he then compares it to regions of Staffordshire. Staffordshire. Yeah. And he then goes on to compare it to Wolverhampton. Well, there's a lot of very interesting wildlife in Wolverhampton, Tom. I think that's fair to say. <laughs> but it's not the wildlife. So he says, from the regular form of the many craters, they gave to the country an artificial appearance, which vividly reminded me of those parts of Staffordshire where the great iron foundries are most numerous. Oh, yeah. So he's thinking of the Industrial Revolution. You know, he, as you said, he, black country. Yeah, he's familiar with the black country. And so he's comparing it to this kind of industrial wasteland. If um, Adrian Childs and Noddy Holder listening they will be shocked by this comparison but you know the hollands come from um they come from stoke stoke that's where they originate from so stoke yeah could have been, he could have been talking about stoke i mean stoke's more potteries though yeah so he's it, basically what he's looking at is volcanic cones most of them have calcified but he he you know there's the odd one where a drift of you know wisps of smoke are rising so he's very very interested in that but of course what is really striking about the galapagos island and you know, what it is globally famous for is its wildlife, mm -hmm. which is very, very distinctive. And again, Fitzroy, who's not a, a naturalist, but he immediately notes about it. So he, in his journal, he says, innumerable crabs and hideous iguanas started <laughs> in every direction as we scrambled from rock to rock. So that's very kind of Arthur Conan Doyle, the lost world or something, isn't it? Absolutely. The hideous iguanas. I mean, even you must be able to picture the iguanas of the uh, Galapagos Islands. Are they enormous? Are they big? They're not They're not as big as they are in a million years BC, if you've ever seen that. Right. Where they, uh, <laughs> Racco Welsh gets menaced <laughs> yeah. by a giant iguana. But they are, they're pretty large. And what's distinctive about them is that they, they can swim. Okay, I would, I would find that disturbing. Yeah. That's something that gets picked up in, in um, Master and Commander. I think one of the boys, the little boy, the midshipman, yeah. he's had his arm chopped off, but uh, it doesn't matter because his love of natural history keeps him going. Mr. Blakeney comes and tells, yeah, yes, comes and tells Maturin that um, the iguanas are swimming. Yeah, and he goes, "What?" <laughs> and then they get attacked by the French, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so so Paul Bettany is denied the chance to come up with a theory of evolution. Anyway, so you've got the iguanas. Darwin is still at this point very, very keen on shooting things. He 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 loves a hunt, but he finds the wildlife on uh, the Galapagos Islands disappointing because it's so tame. And so he gets his gun and, and he sees a hawk. They're very unthreatening, aren't they? In the, well, he uh, sees a hawk and he pokes it with his gun. Yeah. And the hawk just kind of <laughs> stares at it. This is not good sport at all. Uh, so that's a source of disappointment for Darwin. And basically he leaves the the, the shooting to his, his servant, Sims Covington, who uh, was recruited, according to the ship's list, as a fiddler and boy to the poop cabin. Right. So he was 15 when the Beagle embarked from Plymouth. So he's 19 by this point. And Darwin is is using him to shoot specimens. 
it's the only way that you can you, you shoot a specimen and then you stuff it. So that's what he's he's doing. Interestingly, he he's not particularly interested in the iguanas because they've been labelled as mainland as coming from the mainland. So he thinks there's nothing particularly interesting in them, um, and he doesn't appreciate that their ability to swim makes them distinctive. So that's you know one for Maturin, nil for Darwin. Yeah, very poor from Darwin. He doesn't notice that. <laughs> Then there are the tortoises, for which the Galapagos Islands are famous, huge, giant tortoises, enormous tortoises. And again, Darwin is not particularly interested in them either, because he his theory is that they have been brought from, um, from the Indian Ocean by the English pirates, because obviously tortoises make wonderful food if you're a, a sailor going to sea. You just plonk them on and turn them upside down, and then you eat them. Yeah. Uh, so... He's he's not particularly interested in them, but there is a comment that Lawson, who's the the guy, the Englishman in charge of the penal colony, makes to him that subsequently he will recall. And this comment is that Lawson can tell from which of the various islands of the Galapagos a tortoise comes from the shape of its shell. Yeah. So in due course, that will be something that Darwin picks up on. But at the time, he doesn't pick up on it. Then there are the birds. And the, the thing that Darwin really focuses in, there are mockingbirds. And again, he starts to notice that the mockingbirds, like the tortoises, differ from island to island. This does interest him. When the specimens are shot, brought back to him, he tags them according to which island they've been shot on right. and keeps them separate. So he, he's starting to get the sense that maybe there's something intriguing here, that these birds are, are different on, on each island. Why is that a revelation? Because surely Darwin must be aware that, for example, you know, there are different animals in Italy than there are in or birds than there are in Britain or uh, how is this a tremendous revelation to him that different parts of the world, even in close proximity, will have a slightly different kind of flora and fauna? Because um, the assumption is that these are birds that can be found, say, in South America. Mm -hmm. So that's why he's not interested in the guanas or elsewhere in the world. That's why he's not interested in the tortoises. And so the assumption is about the mockingbirds as well, that the, you know, that there is the species of, mo of mockingbirds that were created by God, and that's what they're like. When he starts to notice that not only are the, the, the mockingbirds on the Galapagos Islands different from the, the ones on the mainland, yeah. but that the different kind of mockingbird on, di on, on each island is different, that's something unexpected. He hasn't right. seen this up close before. That's yeah. unusual. The sort of the sheer sort of variegated nature of the variety. The, yeah, the, the, that that that's what impresses itself upon him. Yes, I mean, I th so it's not like he sees this and he immediately comes up with the theory of evolution, mm -hmm. which is perhaps the 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 kind of the the cliche about yeah. Darwin and the Galapagos Islands. That's not what happens, and it's not even like you know, it strikes him as a kind of great insight. It's just it's something interesting and unexpected. Yeah that is worth recording and worth making, worth worth detailing. There are also finches, lots and lots of different kinds of finches, lots and lots of small birds. Um, and Covington, his servant, shoots vast numbers of these birds. They're very, very tame. He just yeah. <laughs> He keeps them, but he finds it very, very difficult to tell them apart. Lots of these finches look pretty pretty yeah. identical um and so darwin writes in explanation the plumage was almost identical nor were the birds habits distinguishable for they feed together in large irregular flocks and you know he's sitting he, covington is bringing him back all these kind of finches darwin is sitting in in his um, cabin in the beagle trying to work them out and basically he he throws his hands up and says he can't because all these specimens just form an inexplicable confusion he, he calls them but he again 
that there is something about the finches, the variety of the finches that, that strikes him as being very curious. Mm. So it's, again, it's not like he's saying, wow, there's something amazing here that I need to explain. Uh, maybe, you know, uh, theory of evolution, natural, bias, <laughs> natural selection would explain yeah. it. That's not what happens, but he's, he's a, Again, to go back to that analogy, it's a tickling at the back of his throat. Yeah. It's, it's the sense of something odd that is worth considering. So they're just basically there for a couple of weeks. They're not there for very long. And then they, they set off across the Pacific. They head to uh, Tahiti. Um, and on the way, it's on the way that Darwin really starts to kind of, he's looking at the mockingbirds. He's put them into different groups according to the different islands. And he's really, really intrigued by the fact that, say, the birds from one island, you know, and another, that there, there are kind of little differences in them. And he's pondering this and pondering this. Um, and it, it's just kind of adding to his doubts about the stability of species, because the implication is that if these birds have got to the Galapagos Islands and they've, you know, they've gone to different islands and, yeah they're different on each island then perhaps the implication of that is that they have changed over the course of time and he hasn't been reading anything in britain before he left that has fueled this or has put some of these ideas in his head because there's some degree of historical debate isn't there about whether darwin is genuine the first or whether he's getting ideas from other people and well there's erasmus darwin so it's 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 in the family yeah there are yes it is it is bubbling away there Mm -hmm. but but you know, Darwin, had he not gone on the Beagle, would probably have become a clergyman. Um, and so there are kind of religious dimensions to this that will, of course, trouble him. Anyway, so on they sail, uh, and they end up back in, back in Britain. And Darwin has all this, st- you know, he has his collection. All, all the collection he got in Latin America, he'd sent back to England via, um, via another ship. But the Galapagos finches, the Galapagos mockingbirds, all these specimens that he's brought – um, he's, he's got them with him throughout the entire voyage. And so he, on the 4th of January, 1837, he presents these to the London Zoological Society. And there are 80 mammals and there are 450 different types of bird. Crikey. And among these are the finches. Yeah. That basically Darwin had thrown his hand up and said, I can't make any sense of this. And Darwin is, you know, he's not particularly interested in them. Um, he, he remains confused by them. He sense he hasn't really got a handle on them. Um, and he hasn't even identified all of them as finches. So he, th- he thinks that some of them are wrens. He thinks some of them are, are relatives of blackbirds. Um, so he's really not got on top of them at all. Yeah. Um, and he certainly doesn't have a sense that all these different kinds of birds that are in fact finches might be, um, you know, closely related. He's not on top of that. And so he, he hands them over to the zoological society. They're very badly labeled. He's labeled some finches. He's labeled some wrens, you know, so on. However, fortunately, there is a guy who's perfectly suited to going through all these specimens and making sense of them. This is a guy called John Gould, who, unlike Darwin, is not a gentleman. So he is actually um, the son of a gardener. Um, he makes a living as a taxidermist. So he's the um, the taxidermist for the uh, for the zoological society. Right. The animal preserver is his official name. Um, so he's not hugely well paid, but he's a very, very brilliant ornithologist. This is his great love. And, you know, he's, he's sitting in uh, the offices of the Zoological Society stuffing things <laughs> when these finches get delivered to him. Yeah. And he's so intrigued by them that he pauses the work for which he's being paid 
and starts trying to to work out what all these different birds are. And he rapidly realizes that actually the wrens and so on, um, the blackbirds, that all of them are finches. Mm-hmm. And, and he spends um, basically a week studying them, six days concentrated work. And by the end, he has, he has realized that they are 12 distinct species of finch. And in due course, he will realize that a third one that Darwin had cataloged as a wren, that that is also a finch. So 13 different species of finch in all. I'll be frank with you, Tom. I, I don't understand why this is a dramatic breakthrough in, I mean, who cares? I mean, maybe I, I'm, I'm not a birder or indeed have, okay. I, I, I have no knowledge of science at all. So explain to me why this is exciting. So, so perhaps it's moderately interesting if you're interested in birds for their own sake. Yeah. That there are all these new species of finch. Yeah. Brilliant. You know, you, yeah. you, you, you're a fan of the finch. I love finches. Can't get enough of them. You, you love a finch. You can't get enough of them. <laughs> this is great. But for Darwin, yeah. it sharpens the question that his analysis of the mockingbirds and then remembering what Lawson, the, the prison governor, had said about the tortoises. Mm-hmm. Oh, the shells. Yeah, you can. The different kinds of shells. The problem is, how do you explain that each island has a distinct species? Yeah. In other words, what is the process by which that might have happened? Did God create? Is it best to be explained by the idea that, yes, that God creates the Galapagos Islands and he decides each island will have its own distinct species of finch? (laughs) Yeah. Or is it evidence of speciation? In other words, a species of finch gets blown across the seas from the mainland Mm -hmm. and they land on different islands and they start to adapt to the different situation that you get on each island. And the thing that's absolutely key to this is the beaks. Because the beaks. Oh right. Okay. Each species of finch yeah. has a different kind of beak. And the beak is proportionate to, you know, whatever the nuts or whatever it is, the trees, the plant life that you need to 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 get your, your food if you're a finch. Okay. So the beak is is perfectly adapted. As though it had been designed, Tom. Well, as though it had been designed, although or, or perhaps it, it has been selected by natural means oh. would be the alternative yeah. theory. And so this is the theory that that Darwin starts to ponder. And in, in, in 1839, so that's um, a couple of years after he's got back, you know, and presented his finches to the Zoological Society. He publishes what he calls his journal remarks. It, it will be reissued and is more famously known as the Voyage of the Beagle. And he writes in that about the, um, about the beaks, the, the finches on the Galapagos Islands, that it is very remarkable that a nearly perfect gradation of structure in this one group can be traced in the form of the beak from one exceeding in dimensions that of the largest grow beak to another differing but little from that of a warbler. And this isn't the conclusive proof for uh, a theory of evolution by natural selection, but it's a it's a very very neat illustration of it. And when in 1845 um, this this journal gets published again under the title of the Voyage of the Beagle, Darwin is is again he's he's testing the waters more more boldly, and he writes, seeing this gradation and diversity of structure in one small intimately related group of birds, one might really fancy that from an original paucity of birds in this archipelago, one species had been taken and modified for different ends. Hmm. So the passive voice there had been taken. I mean, it leaves it open that perhaps God had done this, but it's also leaving open the 
the possibility that there might be some other explanation for it and again he hints very strongly at what this might be because he says he writes both in space and time we seem to be brought somewhat near to that great fact that mystery of mysteries the first appearance of new beings on the earth and you get the sense that you know he's he's nervous because he knows how sensitive how in fact how explosive yeah. this theory may prove to be and when in due course he, he comes to write the origin of the species and to publish it um the finches are on the galapagos islands feature um and so the role that the galapagos islands plays is always recognized and acknowledged um but i think the reason that it it plays this kind of key role in if you like the mythology of darwinism mm-hmm. is the fact that if you want a kind of physical portrayal of how evolution works how the theory of natural selection functions you have fossils so the, the classic one is gradations of horse evolving over the course of geological time another one is whales paleontologists have found uh, the land animal that becomes the marine animal and you can kind of trace the progress but if you want living animals those the beaks of those finches are pretty good yeah and so they've come to be called darwin's finches because they you know they're, they're emblematic of of the theory that he comes up with but i think that the myth is that he goes to the galapagos islands and he comes up with the theory of of of, uh, of evolution of by natural selection that's not true it's a much longer process but it is a, it is an impo- it, you know they play an important role yeah. in the theory that he will come if to. you compress that story yeah there's a there's a line you're drawing a line from there is. his arrival in the galapagos to him publishing the origin of the species all those years later because there's quite a long interval isn't there there is between his return and then publishing the theory and steve jones um writes brilliantly on darwin i mean he he has written about how actually it's it's the stuff that darwin sees in england once he's got back from the voyage of the beagle that's just as important if not more important yeah. on influencing you know all his stuff with um worms and you know all his stuff that he's doing at Down House and so on. That that's that's as important. It's not as good a story though, is it, Tom? Let's be honest. It's not as good a story. No, it's not. And as also, good a story. don't you think the Galapagos have this? They play an outsized part in this story, partly because the Galapagos have this sort of in the in the popular imagination, they're the Garden of Eden, aren't they? Un, untouched, yeah. you know, unspoiled, untouched, yeah. um, a sort of vision of paradise. I mean, that's still the way that they are sold to tourists today. It, I mean, it's interesting you say they're sold as the Garden of Eden and paradise because, of course, you know, the bits I read make it sound like hell. Well, if you don't like Wolverhampton, I mean, that's, that's a- <laughs> <laughs> well, Fit- Fitzroy is just calling it pandemonium. You know, the the word from Milton's Paradise Lost. Yeah, uh, the, the the vision of 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 hell that it's black rock smoke inhabited by fearsome monsters. But that for us has now become, yes, as you say, a kind of vision of paradise. Mm. And the environmental stresses that the Galapagos Islands are under are seen as, a, you know, globally as a kind of temperature check on the state of biodiversity. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So there we go. Ecuador. Fascinating story, Tom. And I think you've done tremendous justice to the richness and sophistication of Ecuador's history. And <laughs> <laughs> No, no, it's a, I'm, I'm kidding. It's a, it's a genuinely fascinating story, and I say that as somebody who's not. Do really, you say that as someone? You know, you you love your science. Don't I'm you? not really into science. It's fair <laughs> to say, but um, well, I, what I don't like about science, I don't like abstract nouns, basically. And um, I think what's lovely about the Darwin story is that it humanizes it and it places it in time, um, which I do like. I thought, um, I thought you did that. Uh, I thought you did that beautifully, Tom. I don't often say that to you on this podcast. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm sure that uh, specialists in um, the theory of evolution listening to this, I will have 
I apologize if I got any of that wrong. Uh, but no. uh, but we, we will. I think the outline is basically basically right. Tom, we're a podcast, but not a monograph. I think <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we're not right. We're not Radio Three. So that's Ecuador, and on that bombshell, we will see you tomorrow for something else. Goodbye. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, please sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. <laughs>